Amcham Unmuted, brought to you by the American Chamber of Commerce. Hello and welcome to Amcham Unmuted. I am delighted to be joined today by a very special guest. He is the head of Meta in Ireland, which of course was formerly known as Facebook. And he is also the current president here at the American Chamber of Commerce in Ireland, Mr. Gareth Lamb. Gareth, thank you so much for joining me here today. Hi, Aoife. Uh, nice to see you and hear you. And uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be doing this uh, Amcham podcast. Now, Gareth, you have had a very successful career to date, leading to your current position as the head of Irish operations of Meta, one of the most successful companies globally. But can you take us back for a moment to a younger Gareth Lamb? What were you like growing up? Where did your interests lie? What motivated you? Yeah, look, I, I did international commerce, international business in UCD with, with, with Spanish, with the language. And uh, my interest was actually always more in sort of uh, marketing and advertising and sales. So, you know, I, that's how I started my career. I started with, uh, you know, Irish distillers or Pernod Ricard, looking out for the Jemison brand and some other brands. So very much in pure classical marketing. And, but, you know, that was late 90s. And in, the, in 2000, you know, when um, at the height of dot-com euphoria, just before the crash, I timed things perfectly and I left my very secure job in Irish distillers and moved to a startup called pigsback.com, which uh, many people might remember. We issued about a million uh, squeezy pigs, uh, pink pigs into offices. So, you know, I went there and, you know, within a few months of going there, the, the capital markets collapsed and there was the so-called dot-bomb year, et cetera. But we successfully, you know, under the guidance of Michael Dwyer, the, the sort of founder who hired me, um, went through a few rounds of funding and remodeled the business and created a fairly successful uh, business in Ireland and even some international expansion. So I actually did that for nine years. So I suppose in the in Irish terms, I, I was a kind of um, early enough internet entrepreneur, albeit you know with, with under the guidance of the founder of Figs, pigsback.com. So quite a bit of experience. And then after that, about nine years into that, I ended up going into big tech, I guess, as it's so called. And I went to PayPal, uh, which is obviously massively growing, huge company, uh, really successful in payments. And I enjoyed that. But after three years, I left for Facebook because, to be honest, even though PayPal was amazing and the payments industry uh, is very interesting, it wasn't, it didn't kind of light my fire. I was more interested in the kind of marketing opportunity and potential uh, of, of, of the Facebook platform. So I joined in 2011, exactly 10 years ago, about a year before the IPO. And uh, so that's how I ended up at Facebook. And a couple of years later, um, my successor leading the operation left and, and I took over from her. So really, you were kind of first to the party when it came to the whole social media era. But can you talk to us a little bit about your mindset when you joined Facebook in 2011? At the time, media was still very much in its infancy. A lot of the other early platforms were already starting to die off. And I think a lot of people probably thought that this was just a passing craze. Was that ever a fear for you, that you were going in the wrong direction or that this wouldn't last? Yeah, definitely. Like when I joined uh, Facebook in, in, in earlier, mid-2011, you know, it was pre-IPO. There was still people who were still weren't exactly sure about it. You're right. Bebo and MySpace had sort of come and were in the, in the midst of collapsing. So it's not that people didn't think Facebook was huge, but they just went, "Hey, it's a fad. It'll be gone in a year with the next uh, big thing." And you know, I to be honest, it's not like I had a 
better crystal ball than others and thought this was you know definitely the one that was going to last but i could see the traction it had got on its story first in the universities in the u.s then throughout outside university the u.s then its internationalization and it was already at something like 100 million users in a very short space of time um, so it was certainly you know a risk and i probably never procrastinated more in terms of leaving somewhere because i mean you know payments and PayPal was going fantastically as well and also a, a great company so I did procrastinate a lot and it was a big decision but at the end of the day you know I was still young then if I was <laughs> so I could sort of take a little bit of a risk and I just went you know what this looks so interesting looks like it could be some uh, roller coaster ride which of course it has turned out to be and uh, and I took the plunge and you know we IPO'd a year later and, you know, now fast forward 10 years later, not only is Facebook still around two and a half billion users, but we also have Instagram and Messenger, WhatsApp, and are making huge investments into virtual augmented reality. So, you know, there's, I don't I'm not sure there's ever been a company that's scaled as fast, but there's certainly, if there has, there's, you know, you could count them on one hand. So that scaling of growth of platforms and users and advertising and employees and processes has been, uh, as I say, uh, some roller coaster. It really has been such an impressive achievement what Facebook has managed to accomplish. And I think it's so interesting for our listeners to get an insight then into that risk versus opportunity mindset of a senior business leader such as yourself. But I suppose seizing opportunity is something that Facebook as a whole has done very successfully over the last 17, almost 18 years now. As the person who has led those operations in Ireland over the last 10 years, can you talk to us a little bit about the longevity of Facebook and where you see social media platforms going next? Yeah, sure. I think the longevity and I guess relative success of Facebook, you know, hasn't been fluke. It's been very well marshaled by Mark Zuckerberg and others. I mean, Zuckerberg, I know, is a divisive figure for a lot of people. But one thing that can't be denied is that he's a product visionary who has a very long term mindset. And, you know, he's pivoted the company many times uh, over the years. Like when I joined, you know, after the IPO, the share price collapsed because all of the advertising was on the right hand side of your desktop. But the world was moving onto mobile since since Apple launched the smartphone. So a lot of people thought, well, where are the ads going to come from? Where's the revenue? Because, you know, there's no right hand side on your phone. It's your hand. Uh, so he did this massive pivot of the company onto mobile away from desktop incredibly fast. Over the years, he then shifted into video. Uh, he acquired other uh, companies like Instagram. Uh, he's been moving the company, uh, not just in you know newsfeed, social media like Facebook and Instagram, but increasingly into uh, messaging, like with WhatsApp and Messenger. And the kind of models there that fund the mission of the company will be payments and commerce uh, and all that side of things. And then the long-term uh, future bet for the company is um, this so-called metaverse, which is really a virtual and augmented reality world, where Mark Zuckerberg has said that he wants to you know, move Facebook over the next five years from being a social media company into a metaverse company, which means that this will be this new version of the internet, or we believe that the next operating system after mobile is going to be VR and AR. And a lot of people think of VR and AR at the moment as the use case being just kind of hardcore gamers with these huge big headsets you know they'll spend thousands of euro on, on 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 processing power but actually we see the applications going way beyond uh gaming obviously into things like biotech and education but also communications um and we're already in the process of investing a lot of time and energy and money into creating um vr and a or glasses that are not big clunky things on your head but rather 
you know, much more uh, wearable uh, tech. And also we see the earliest applications of this happening in the workplace, actually, with workplace tools accelerated by COVID. So, you know, uh, VR and AR will probably start in the workplace because it's a more confined, safe, secure place, but also where it's going to be very much needed to save all that productivity and travel time and the environment and work-life balance. And that's where we're seeing sort of some of our earlier product launches. It is amazing for someone like myself, who is definitely not an IT visionary, to even imagine how VR can be used in the workplace. I mean, I have only worn a pair of VR glasses one time in my life, and it landed me in some sort of big round room, and it was so realistic, but I was so surprised and I got so disorientated that I just fully fell over. And to think that there are people such as yourself who are figuring out how we can use this amazing technology to enhance our everyday lives, I think is just incredible. And from what you're saying, I suppose it's clear that there are so many opportunities in the IT sphere and that Facebook is very much poised to take them. But are there any particular challenges that you see for your sector going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, social media itself obviously comes under massive scrutiny, uh, you know, and rightly so. It's, you know, where a lot of the world's conversations happen at the moment. Um, it's where some of the biggest conversations happen. Like if you think about today's biggest issues like um, sustainability and, you know, identity politics and, you know, hashtag Me Too movement, hashtag Black, Black Lives Matter politics, like these conversations are charged and they're played out in social media. And there's the downside to that, uh, that we need to mitigate and manage down. And there's the plus side that should, you know, like powering global movements like like hashtag me too, that we need to kind of focus on. But there's a lot of scrutiny, criticism, likely increased regulation there on top of all the measures we're taking. So I think, you know, there's no question uh, social media um, has a lot of scrutiny and there's a lot of, um, I suppose, what you call headwinds, but some of them welcome, of course, and others, you know, we need to manage appropriately. I think there's always new competitors in technology. I mean, you know, you think about other competitors like Twitter and Snap and TikTok and all the rest of it. There's the competitor piece. And there's also the fact, look, this long-term strategic vision for VR and AR and the metaverse, I mean, it's a bet. Like, it's a massive strategic bet. We're spending billions of dollars on research, thousands of engineers, you know, we believe, as I said, it could be the next mobile operate, the next operating system after mobile. But, you know, it may not be the big bet. It could be something else. So, you know, technology is moving faster and faster. If you look at the Fortune 500 companies right now and look at the Fortune 500 companies from 50 years ago, only 12% of them are still in the Fortune 500, right? That's because uh, they either get bought over, become less relevant, go out of business, you know, and that's happening even faster with tech. So the odds are against your current big tech companies like Facebook and Google still being as big as they are in 20 years. But, you know, we're trying to at least see around corners and invest in the future to stay relevant and stay on top of trends. But, you know, it's hard in such a fast moving technological world. Well, you definitely aren't losing that risk-taking mindset anyway, Gareth. But definitely, I think it's it seems like you're very open to any criticism that you have received and very open to kind of doing what needs to be done to mitigate mitigate any effects. Of course. I mean, we've thousands of people, you know, um, you know, working in safety and integrity alone who have a passion, even a vocational, um, you know, bent towards all of that work. But look, we don't always get it right. We get it wrong sometimes. Uh, that's fair. Sometimes the, the the hostility can be a little unfair, we believe, internally. But look, that's life. It's the price and the privilege uh, of working for a company that's so relevant. 
Okay, I want to move on though to something I know is a huge topic of interest for our listeners and will be top of the agenda for both employers and employees in the coming months. The future of work, the idea of remote working versus being in the office. This is something that Facebook has definitely been a front runner on. Can you talk to us a little bit about how important you think the office will be into the future? Yeah, so we think it's going to remain incredibly important, but different. We know a lot more people are going to be remote, although we haven't had a huge take up for people to be 100% remote. What people really want is this hybrid notion of, you know, two or three days a week and more flexibility. So we've really uh, doubled down on that. Uh, we announced very early, we'd allow 100% remote work. We'd be moving to hybrid. We've also, I think, gone even more uh, future forward on this in that we're even allowing cross-border remote work. We're going to be giving 20 days a year to our employees to work from another country outside their holidays or work travel, et cetera. Just trying to, you know, push the boundaries as much as we can on choice and flexibility for our employees. We think, you know, happier employees means, you know, a better functioning and better performing uh, company. It's the way the wind is blowing. We're embracing it and double down on it, doubling down on it rather than uh, fighting it. Of course, there's risks that everything everyone points out, uh, the culture, collaboration, uh, earlier in career people, you know, mentoring that, you know, happens in the office. But we're developing, um, you know, initiatives that really try to mitigate or protect that while allowing all the good things of, of, of you know, a more of hybrid workplace to flourish. So it's going to be difficult striking that balance. No one has a, a crystal ball on how to get that exactly right. There's going to be learning. We'll go forward, maybe a step back, two steps forward. But certainly, you know, for us, it's important for employees. It's also in the world in general, but especially in big tech, big tech, there is a war for talent, you know, and this is going to be, you know, you know, it's remuneration, it's perks, it's food, all that, all those cliches you hear about in tech. But in future, one of the battlegrounds is also going to be remote work policies. So, you know, we have very ambitious hiring targets and growth targets for the next five, 10 years. It's also a necessity for us to be really competitive in this area vis-a-vis -vis our peers. I think it's something that definitely a lot of companies are maybe wary of. A lot of employers are kind of unsure maybe like everyone has worked in the office forever they've always been able to see what their employees are doing and to move away from that into I mean you have offered a fully remote working option to your employees is there is there any concern around it at all or do you think employers maybe need to be more open to that to that option I think there is concern of course it's not 100% great to be uh, to allow more flexible and remote work, and you know, I think you, you you see a lot of people commenting on this, and they're either certain we should all come back to the office, or certain we should all be 100% remote. You know, nobody knows for sure, and I think a lot of people's kind of uh, views are biased towards their own preference. You know, people who enjoy working from home are saying there should be no office, and people who love the office saying there should be an office. As I said earlier, of course, there's concerns. There's concerns and all those things I said, culture, collaboration, early in career. But, you know, there are things you can do around that. There's increasingly good communications tools. I mean, people have been using Teams and Zooms, et cetera, a lot. But as I mentioned earlier, we see VR and AR um, enterprise applications being a huge competitive advantage we will have early doors in terms of um, maintaining that culture and keeping those, that stuff as, 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 as good as possible. There's also gonna to have to be a lot of new management techniques and practices uh, that will have to improve and, and evolve for us to get really good at this. You know, we've always been fairly distributed in Facebook. We've relied a lot on the technology. So again, I think we have a good head start maybe versus other companies, but we're gonna have a lot to learn and develop and evolve in this as well. 
That is fantastic, Gareth. I think it's so important for our listeners to be able to get an understanding, I suppose, about what companies are planning in this sphere and why. But another area that Facebook has been a leader on is around diversity and inclusion in the workplace. How important do you feel it is in a large technology company like Facebook? And do you struggle or kind of encounter challenges in achieving it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm preaching to the converted, I'm sure, in terms of our Ancham members, in terms of the, the importance of diversity and equality and inclusion in your teams. But I would say in particular for Facebook, it's so important because we're a platform that covers virtually the whole world. Uh, so we have, you know, billions of users across every culture and country and language, almost, you know, 99% in the whole world. So that behooves us especially to have employees that reflect that base. So it's really important for us, not just for practical reasons like languages and things like that, but if you think also of, you know, safety of the platform and hate speech and things like that, you need people who don't just understand the theory, but understand the local cultural nuance of the various countries as well. So that's one part that's really important. The other side is on, on, on engineering. Like we're, we're a tech company, over half of our 70,000 employees are, are engineers and technical people. And that's of course, notoriously um, difficult to get women, for example, to have gender bias. Uh, you know, eight years ago, we were at, I think, 15% women in our engineering teams, and now it's 26%, which is not good enough still, obviously, but it's massive growth. It's taken huge effort, because if you think about it, only 14% of computer science graduates in the US are women. So for us to grow from 15 to 26% has taken a monumental effort, and we're fortunate, of course, to have a CEO, Sheryl Sandberg, who's you know, an advocate and activist in this space, and you know all the rest of it. But it's, it's an ongoing battle. And aside from gender, we also have you know, very much other diversity lenses, in particular, you know, in the US, things like Blacks, Latinos, veterans, but in other parts of the world, like here in Ireland, for example, I focus a lot on differently abled and economically underprivileged. So look, I think it's important for everyone, but look, for a big tech company um, that's dealing with all the issues we are across the whole world, I think um, diversity and inclusion of our, of our workforce is arguably even more important than, than in other companies. I think it is fantastic to hear the awareness that you have of the challenges that exist. You're not trying to say that everything is perfect, but there definitely is a huge effort being put in to improve inclusion and diversity. And I think people will appreciate that. Now, Gareth, you are the AmCham president for 2021. It has been a very different year to what we're used to here at AmCham, particularly when it comes to in-person events. But as we approach the end of the year, can you tell us what your year in presidency has been like and have there been any particular highlights or lowlights? Yeah, well, my God, I mean, it's been bizarre for sure. I mean, look, it is a good bit of extra time on you being uh, president of the chamber, but it's also a privilege, of course, and wouldn't change anything. I mean, you know, uh, you know. I'm a huge believer in FDI and US FDI in Ireland. I know what it contributes to our economy uh, economically, but as well, some of the kind of social and cultural benefits of that diverse employee base here. You know, so a huge advocate always have been on the board five years, so I was delighted to do it. It's been strange because what should have been a year of a lot of travel and events has been a lot of this, a lot of Zooms and podcasts. My biggest disappointment personally was, you know, we, we have a trip every year to the White House on St. Patrick's Day, and I was really looking forward to that. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, as I say, I was doing events here on Zoom. So you know, it's been an eventful year. Of course, we have a lot going on. We've, you know, our climate issues. We've, of course, the OECD uh, tax stuff. We've, you know, all the priorities and agendas we have in advocacy in terms of making this the best country in the world uh, to do business and for talent to live. I think one of the things that's, you know, happened post-COVID with the move to remote work that we were discussing earlier is it's putting increased urgency 
on all the things that make Ireland a great place for talent to live, whether that's, you know, infrastructure or broadband or residential accommodation. You know, uh, in the future, we know, and, you know, this is a cliche at this stage this year, but we've been saying that, you know, jobs and investment won't be where companies want to go, it'll be where talent wants to live. So, you know, we're really focused on a lot of those things, as well as the big issues like tax and STEM, etc. So there's been an incredible amount going on, but we have an incredible team at AmCham, you and Mark Redman and all the team, but also the board. So very supported, you know, really wonderful team. We've got through a lot this year, albeit all on Zoom. <laughs> Absolutely. I know everyone here at the Chamber is so proud of what has been accomplished in a very difficult year and no more than yourself. I think everyone was probably a little bit disappointed about the lack of travel this year, but I mean, hopefully next year things might resume to a little bit more normality. Gareth, this has been a really fantastic and insightful conversation, but before we wrap up and before I let you go, I want to ask you if you would share with us a moment or an achievement from your career so far that maybe you are particularly proud of. Oh God! I mean, uh, I mean, so many of the little things you're proud of. It's it's in in your career, in a job. It's 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 a million little things rather than sort of one or two big ones. But I, I suppose if I had to say something, look, the the scale of the growth and investment of Facebook in Ireland is something I'm very proud of. Like when I joined, we had 300 people. We now have you know 3,000 FTEs, and you know we have this huge campus we're building in Balls Bridge. We have a data center, VR and AR research office down in Cork, and you know as a as a proud proud Irishman. You know, I'm, of course, really happy with all that investment uh, of jobs and capital expenditure and suppliers and, you know, into the economy. So I suppose in terms of, you know, I don't know, legacy or thinking about something really proud of, it's, 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 that, um, it's that investment into this country, you know, is, is one thing I suppose I'd call out. An absolutely fantastic achievement and what I think people around the country would be very grateful for. And a brilliant way to conclude our conversation here today. Gareth, thank you so, so much for joining me. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And thank you to everyone at home for listening. I hope you will join us again soon for more exciting guests and conversations here on AmCham Unmuted.